it's important to have that support network at home because cottage baking can be a very isolating activity you know you're you're not working in a bakery with other bakers that you can share your successes and failures with and when you're alone it, 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 you know you can you can get in a bit of a spiral where you have self-doubt and you lose confidence and there are you know a community online that you can reach out to but having the immediate kind of support network is very very important This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this second season of the Sourdough Podcast, I'm looking forward to once again sitting down with the bakers, grain growers, millers, authors, and people from all across our sourdough community. I want to share the stories of the people behind the bakeries, cookbooks, and Instagram profiles that have captivated our imaginations and inspired us to start baking. As a special theme, I'll be talking to cottage bakers. Cottage bakers occupy a unique place in our community. In some ways, they represent the bridge from home baker to professional. They've taken the next big step that many of us home bakers have pondered taking. So this season, I'd like to explore what it takes to make that leap by interviewing a handful of my favorite cottage bakers. My hope is that a few of you listening will hear yourself in their stories and be inspired to venture out on your own bread journey. To kick off this season's special focus on the cottage baker, I'm very excited to have Lisa Clayton, the baker behind the Instagram sensation Sourdough Nouveau, and owner of the Beach Cottage Bakery. Lisa shares what inspired her to discover sourdough and the background of her wildly popular sourdough art. She tells us about the challenges and triumphs she's experienced in opening her own cottage bakery and gives advice and inspiration to those considering pursuing their own sourdough dreams. One of the most helpful things you could do if you haven't had the chance is to share the podcast or leave a review. If you want to see the Sourdough Podcast continue to grow and continue to bring you inspiring stories from our amazing community, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It really goes a long way, and I'd be very grateful for your support. And be sure to stay tuned after the podcast to hear new music from Weston Perry's debut EP, From the Attic. And now, my interview with Lisa Clayton. My guest today is Lisa Clayton. Lisa is the owner and operator of the Beach Cottage Bakery, a licensed cottage food operation she runs from her home in Redondo Beach, California. In 2016, Lisa started documenting her bread journey under the handle Sourdough Nouveau, where you have undoubtedly come across her beautiful and intricately designed sourdough creations. Lisa is a passionate sourdough advocate dedicated to education, and in addition to her baking, she hosts bread baking workshops and most recently started selling her bread at her local farmer's market. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Mike. Lisa, um, I'm particularly excited to talk with you today because, as you know, in our little sourdough community, you are a bit of a celebrity. Um, Last time I looked at Sourdough Nouveau, you had 50,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, I'm curious, in your opinion, why do you think people are so interested in sourdough these days? I think there's definitely a number of reasons for that. I think baking in general um, has really taken off people are more interested in producing their own food kind of taking back that control from the industrialized production of food but also personally for me if i think about my own journey into um, sourdough baking specifically and i think there's quite a lot of um information about this now and understanding about it available but um, sourdough making and baking in general can be a very therapeutic exercise Um, it's used often you know to help people with depression and anxiety and um, I I did really find that in sourdough making it was a very kind of meditative exercise it was you know absorbing but not too challenging and um, it kind of 
gave you a real sense of satisfaction to create something that didn't exist before that you know you could enjoy at the end of the day um, and share with others so yes I think that's definitely an element um, for me uh, when I discovered that there could be a creative element to it in through sourdough art if you want to call it that um, that kind of added an extra dimension to it that made me really excited about every low-hell's baking that combines making something, using your hands, creating something, a creative outlet, an artistic outlet. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it um, appeals to different people for different reasons. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but you've only been baking for three, uh, three years now. Is that right? Sourdough, yes. Three, about three years. Wow, that's it's really impressive. Uh, I, I don't even know how that's possible. The bread you create is just so beautiful. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to sourdough and, and kind of what kind of experiences brought you to where you are today? Um, so I guess my experience with baking and sourdough and my experience leading up to the micro bakery are um, slightly different things. But I think I've always been interested in Um, baking, cooking, making food. And sometimes when I think about it, it's actually more the procedure that appeals to me that excites me more than the end product. Obviously, I enjoy the end product and nice food. But when I was um, from a young age, would browse recipes, I'd get most excited by the most involved kind of, um, I don't know if this is the word here, but faffy or fiddly recipes that are kind of multi-step recipes. So yeah, that's always been something I've been interested in. For me, Sado specifically, I think um, I I studied biology at university, so I love the science and uh, the kind of kind of experimental element of it. Um, especially with the Sado starter, to think that you're harvesting microbes and nurturing mm. them and growing them, it kind of felt like every loaf was a scientific experiment, and that really appealed to me. And That kind of background has been a pro and a con. In some ways, it's helped me understand the process. In some ways, it's hindered me by making me a little bit too obsessive about understanding (laughs) the process, which definitely has its downsides. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're almost like a perfect combo. I don't know if you describe yourself, but, you know, that artistic side, left brain, right brain. (laughs) You know the chem or the biology major in the the artistic side. The chem- um, I don't know about the perfect combo. I guess ways <laughs> it works for me. I think um, you know people approach bread making in very different ways, and I think I, actually I was talking to another Instagram baker, and um, she was saying, "Oh, it's nice to speak to another female baker because you know men can approach it in a bit too much of a scientific analytical way, and and females can be a bit more intuitive and." artistic about it and I thought oh like that's actually not me I am extremely <laughs> analytical and scientific okay so you so you you side with with the uh the I right mean, side yes, the decorative side um yeah definitely that comes from artistic um part of me but in terms of the actual bread making like to prepare the dough I I, I would say I'm definitely on the meticulous um mm-hmm. scientific side I think when I was listening to your previous series um Maurizio was the one that I actually kind of related to the most I thought oh, I approach it probably in a more similar way to him which is why I probably love his blog so much <laughs> oh I, yeah I I would I would agree that I I lean to the right side and on also kind of have probably uh, discovered Maurizio for that reason as well. Right, exactly. Um, but I do, I do try to, you know, rein that in and balance it and try to, you know, you know, let go of that need to understand and that need to control that comes with that. Yeah. <laughs> so are you self-taught? Did you, how did you learn to bake sourdough? Yes, um, definitely. 100% self-taught apart from maybe a year into my sourdough journey I did um, go and take one workshop that was actually focused on um, the home milling side of things so that was okay. my introduction to using fresh milled grains but in terms of the, the sourdough making yes um, I think like many bakers I first came across the knowledge of sourdough through Michael Pollan's documentary Aaron also for his book prior to that I had no idea what sourdough was I think I was you know I was under the understanding that's um, maybe a mis, um, 
misconception that sourdough was a particular type of bread rather than the, the process in which to make bread um, using natural fermentation. And so when I, when I first came across this knowledge, it was kind of a real eye-opener. I was almost shocked because I eat bread. It was, you know, part of my, you know, a big part of my diet. I owned a bread maker, which was my pride and joy. I used to think it was the best thing I'd ever bought. Um, and yeah, I, that's all, all I knew is that. Yeah, I think a lot of us grew up in the who nineties or eighties. Definitely, right? Our, our mothers had one of those. Exactly. I mean, they're they're great. You wake up. Oh, and delicious! Bread, it's yeah. they're on a timer, so you smell the bread. And and also, I grew up in Japan, and Japan isn't a a country that has you know bread as part of their history. And so, the way that modern bread has come into the country is very much the white, fluffy. Um, yeah, and they've almost taken that to the extreme there. So, yes, that was a real eye-opener, and um, I was really interested in it, but probably like a lot of people didn't quite know where to start. It seemed like a very um, intimidating um, practice. Um, you know, it's not like you're given a recipe that you follow. You know, even when you get – I often get um, messages that say, can I have a recipe? And I say, well, it's not – I could send you a recipe, but that's not much you can do about that unless you understand the process. You know, it's a, it's a real procedure, yeah. which you can see through some of the books like Tartine, where basically half the book is actually an explanation on his, his master process rather than, you know, recipes. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, and um, I happened to have a, a real foodie friend that I was discussing this documentary with, and he said, you know, do you want to make a starter together and we can bake together? And I took him up on that challenge, and he never actually went on to do it, but I did. And, um, <laughs> my first start actually failed. It was just mixing flour, water, leaving it out. I think I, I kept trying for about two weeks with that batch, and um, it never took off. And then I um, purchased my first first sourdough book, which was Sourdough by Sarah Owens. Um, that was definitely the best decision. It's the best book I've bought. It's still, you know, I maybe have, I don't know how many prep books I have now, probably about 15. I keep saying this is the last one and I buy another one. Yeah. And um, it's still one of my favorites. I just love everything. They're fun books there. to collect. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. And they're, and they're so beautiful. They are. I, yeah, one of my favorite things is sitting down with a cup of tea and a sourdough book and just looking through it, even if I've read it before, it's fun. Um, and yeah, so I used her um, approach or uh, formula for uh, making a starter, which was very appealing to me because it was like a two-step process where you ferment raisins and then use that yeast water to then inoculate the flour. And the starter took off. It was like rocket fuel. It was ready wow. in, in a few days. And that starter is still what leavens all my bread at the bakery three and a half years on. So, Yes. Wow. And so at what point, um, I mean, cause looking at your history and sourdough nouveau, you wouldn't suspect that there was, you had much of a learning curve and you just kind of <laughs> all of a sudden were creating these amazing loaves, but, um, it's probably not the case as for most of us, but, um, at what point did you, or what motivated you to start sourdough nouveau? Um, it actually didn't start off as sourdough nouveau. I had a different handle. Um, I loved all kinds of baking, but mostly kind of sweet baking. So I'd make cakes, cookies, decorative cookies. I've always been drawn to the aesthetics of food. So I'd always make things, you know, as pretty as I can. Um, and so my initial handle was actually kitties and cookies because it was meant to be just baking pictures and pictures of my cat. That makes sense. Looking at the very bottom of your right. food. <laughs> and then um, I guess by around that time, I was getting more and more drawn into the sourdough baking and getting more and more and that became my focus and um so i think i posted a few pictures of that and i think the kind of turning point if you like um was that i was looking at two pictures i'd taken um of a loaf that i'd um taken pictures of before and i baked it and i thought oh wouldn't it be cool if you could actually witness the transition from you know prior to after and so i was playing around with an um like a morphing app where you basically it's it's a it's an illusion where it looks like it's a video, but it's actually two pictures that are you tell you tell the program you know what point turns. I remember those pictures. You remember, yeah. and um, that immediately got picked up by um, an outlet. I think it was Breadmasters, and 
you know, people were kind of interested in that and wondering, is there a camera you can use to take these? <laughs> and so then I thought, well, this is fun. So I made a few more of those and, you know, I set them up so that they would work a lot better so that the background was consistent. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there is um, a lot. I, I suddenly gained a lot of followers. A lot of, I think at the time, side of art, baking art, that kind of stuff wasn't as um, common and so a lot of outlets were interested in that and um, you know eventually the Food Network asked if I could record a series of videos just kind of showing um, a few decorative techniques I didn't. and it was just accumulation of those kind of things that um, suddenly ended up in Saudi Nova being quite you know having quite a big following but yeah not, not something like I ever expected when I uh, yeah. had a, a few months of about nine and then 11 and then seven wow. and 12 followers but yeah <laughs> um yeah I can't I can't imagine how it must have been a, an exciting ride there for a while just to like you know be I, I think I would have been just shocked like what what is going on you know yeah, like, I mean it, it is interesting I think like Prior to baking, I I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't, to be honest, really see the point of it. But <laughs> it was I thought it was something where you take pictures and um, put filters on them and share them. But now that I I bake, it's I I appreciate it so much. I've said um, Instagram's been instrumental to my own learning and my own journey as a sourdough baker. I've, I'm so grateful for all the bakers out there that share you know their knowledge and techniques and shaping videos and. Um, Oh yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, no, our, our community is pretty pretty amazing in in the way that they they share information just so freely and generously. Yes. And- and I also think that things like Instagram, whether you're talking bread or any other visual field, which is what it works best for, it mm-hmm. it kind of encourages you and spurs you and kind of pushes everyone um, to you know go to the, to the extreme at what's possible so then you you encourage each other and well I, and I assume you get tons of messages all the time would you say that there's like a most frequently asked question that you receive from that audience i think there are general questions just about um how to start or you know general kind of advice basic starting point recipes not too many specific scoring related um, questions actually yeah so kind of shifting to your, uh, your website, you know, I, I, I was reading a lot about your, uh, your education page mm-hmm. and, yes. uh, it's really in depth and, uh, you know, topics ranging from history of baking to the benefits of fermentation, graining or grains and milling. I'm curious to know why, why is education something that's so important to you? And, and also like, where did you accumulate all of this, uh, knowledge on, <laughs> on bread and baking and grain and um, so that's definitely a reflection of my own interest in the subject. Um, I've read quite a lot about it. Um, it's one of the reasons I buy books. There's always an interesting section at the beginning. And, um, again, the book cooked was, you know, they ha- he has a, a chapter all about the history of bread and grains and our relationship to it and sourdough, um, which is fascinating. So yeah, it's definitely my own fascination. I, I, it took me a while to put the website together because I did really want that page to be quite thorough. And, you know, I was, I was a bit torn because my husband's advice was more to keep it simple, but I said that I want the information to be there for the people who want it and the people who, you know, are interested in it. So yeah, I, I, um, I'm glad you left it in there, Lisa, because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that just love oh, all the <laughs> info I can get, especially I, bread history and yeah, all the minutia of like, you know, uh, grain anatomy and just, yeah, <laughs> so I love it. Well, yes, yeah, so I guess the answer to that is it's, it's my interest. It's my passion. I want people to understand why sourdough is different, the, mm. the value of it and um, the history of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, um, educating people and I say this because I had no idea and all this information was new to me as well. So, um, yeah, I just, I just want people to understand what kind of bread to look for and why, why sourdough is different and better for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I mean, so you have this, um, incredibly popular Instagram page, um, you're, you know, a 
a, one or two years into baking at this point, at what point um, in your journey did you start to think, you know, I want to be a, a baker. I want to have my own bakery. Mm. And, and what kind of pushed you into the area of cottage bakery versus all the other kind of directions you could have gone in? It's just funny to think about because I think, you know, if I'd, if I'd gone to a fortune teller 10 years, maybe even five years ago, and they said, you know, you're going to be running a bakery, I would be like, no, it's really unlikely. It's not something I ever <laughs> considered or, you know, imagined for myself. Yeah, when I started baking, it definitely was more of a, a hobby, a passion, an obsession. And then I think like a lot of people, you bake more and more and you, you share the fruits of, you know, what you produce with your, the people around you and they encourage you and they, <laughs> they appreciate it and they, you know, so maybe you should um, tell this. I think, oh no, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it's, it's just a hobby or uh-huh. passion. I think my journey's definitely been influenced by some inspirational people. I think again going back to Instagram, you know, you there were a certain um bakers that I followed that really inspired my journey to I think I think Bonnie of Alchemy Bread's kind of one of the cottage bakers that most people get inspired by, you know, like Definitely. She showed how running a bakery or baking wasn't it could be so much more than just about the bread. She was, mm-hmm. she's created this, what, you know, from, from where I am seems like a really, um, a magical, amazing, priceless, precious thing where she lives. Um, and I remember her posting a picture of, um, after one of her friendship bakes of, you know, all the, all the, all the kids that she received her community and I think I just remember commenting saying look at those riches and I really did think that you know maybe not richness in terms of monetary terms but that she built something more valuable than money mm-hmm. can buy and I that was really attractive and I thought you know I, I I would quite like to build something you know something similar to that and um yeah I, I guess I've always been an introvert I've always been extremely comfortable in my own company um but I started to realize that humans are meant to have communities and the modern world is eroding this. And I actually read that, you know, on average Americans haven't made a new friend in the last five years. And, um, you know, through, through doing something like this and, um, food has always been a way for humans to connect and communicate and show their, their caring and love with each other that you can, you can, you know, nurtures those um, human connections and grow communities. It might not be changing the life of someone on the other side of the world, but I find beauty and meaning in forging relationships within the small communities where where I live. So that was definitely a big part of it. Um, I also really love the bread making process. I find it, obviously there are downsides, but I find it... um, challenging every time i bake i learn something new every time i bake it's different every loaf i pull out of the oven i it has equal amount of love from any mm. other loaf i've pulled out and i always go oh this one came out really well <laughs> this one's my favorite one today um, <laughs> there's so, yeah, always there's, a favorite oh definitely and um so yeah there's definite sense of satisfaction that i get from the actual bread making process so to be able to do that every day is um it's very fulfilling yeah. um yeah, there were there were there were moments where I do, you know, find peace in the process in a way that I haven't been able to find in other endeavors. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I graduated um, with a degree in biology, and after graduation, I did try different avenues that didn't quite work out or that were a bad fit. And um, I think I, I did struggle to find direction in my life for a while afterwards. And I think that, you know, I um, I graduated from the University of Oxford and a lot of my peers coming from such an academic background had kind of more the traditionally successful careers. I have a disproportionate number of doctor friends mm. and all my other friends kind of have, you know, the high achievers in the traditional sense. And so for a while I did struggle with the idea of being a baker not fitting into that kind of idea of what success is mm. as shaped by the environment I was in. Um, 
but as I said, you know, looking at what other bakers are achieving through their baking started to change my, didn't change the way I um, thought about what that, you know, success looked like. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so I, I would imagine though, you know, there's the, these concepts are starting to form in your head and you're starting to be influenced by a lot of different, um, inspiring bakers out there. But there's a lot of uh, steps to get to before you actually can start selling bread oh, out yeah. of your home. And I think one of the most intimidating steps, I think, for a potential cottage baker would be the, the whole application registration process for the license. Okay. Uh, what was that uh, experience like for you? Um, the application process was actually fairly straightforward. Um, you submit the application for either a CFO A or a CFO B um, to the public health department with a list of products or a list of items that you're up to sell. I think it was about a month before I actually got my permit. There were a few okay. questions. There were a few, um, I guess I found the process slightly frustrating in the sense that um, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to produce at the time. So yeah. I submitted an they enormous. Do, they ask for your. Um, they, they ask upfront, yes. Yeah. And at the time, I just thought, well, I don't know. So here's a list of all the things that I might potentially make, which was extremely long, <laughs> which I don't think they appreciated. Oh. <laughs> um, and and I think you know the people who are making the decisions whether to approve or not, they're not necessarily um, cooks and bakers themselves with a lot of knowledge. So there were some questions about certain ingredients that you know just just hadn't heard of, but that were absolutely nothing to be concerned about, like an unusual grain, like maybe test or something like that. Mm. So there was a bit of back and forth trying to understand what exactly Interesting. Um, the concerns were, and I think that I understood that you know they're just looking for things that have low risk, and um, yeah, to an extent, it's kind of. Yeah, they have guidelines. You know, you can find the guidelines online about what things they um, consider high risk. Um, and yeah, after that, I think mostly it's mostly common sense. But yeah. <laughs> so there was some back and forth between you and an actual person about the types of ingredients you yes. wanted to use. Yes, there were there were quite a few emails. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, I, th I think part of the problem was because I had submitted such a long list that um, it wasn't thoroughly examined. And so the, the items that were approved weren't necessarily uh, carefully considered. So I was just trying to understand what the decision-making process was, mm -hmm. which at the end of it ended up in a direct conversation with um, one of the people from the health and a nice conversation questions and concerns. Would you have submitted less food types, you know, in retrospect, or would you? How would you have gone about it differently if you could do it over again? Well, I, I have done it over again because you have to renew it every year and resubmit the list. So yes, this year it was considerably reduced. Hmm. I had a much better idea of what I wanted to make and the things you know, that I have been making and also what it is that they're looking for. So, hmm. you know, I kind of feel like um, if there's slight variations in products, then um, I don't know how necessary it would be to list every single variation. Interesting. So, this is all, yeah, this is all stuff I think people want to know because they look at that yeah. application and it's just like, I don't know what that means or like what they are right. looking for. I mean, for. I mean, it, I mean, it is interesting and obviously, you know, I don't know about other states in California is fairly new. I think it's 2013 that the cottage law came into effect. Um, so yeah, it's uh, kind of a, just trying to understand what it is that they're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. So what did you end up? What so what is on your menu after after all of this back and forth? What, what ended up on the menu? So it's mostly variations of sourdough. So it would be you know different add-ins or um, you know whether it's the thing is that they require um, the the name of the product, but not necessarily a list of the ingredients. So it's kind of like horror because something that has many ingredients with only a few words but yeah. Um, so yeah it was just the, the kind of the country loaves the, just the ones that are made from the grains and water and, and then mm -hmm. the add-ins whether it's seeds or you know fruits or other different loaves made from 
grains, I did also put in because of, um, I was planning on doing the farmer's market and I want to make things other than just loaves. So, you know, different bread products, different baked goods that aren't bread as well. So are there any items that are out of your comfort zone when it comes to baking? Are you, are you obviously seem to have mastered sourdough, but are there things that you've been um, including in your uh, bakery <laughs> menu that you feel like, you know, I'm still I learning? I absolutely have not mastered sourdough. I think it's a lifelong learning process. There's definitely days where I have a lot of doubt and um, insecurities and it was very comforting to hear um, a common theme through a lot of your um, bakers that you interviewed in season one about um, the mistakes and how the importance of them and how the biggest lessons and progress is made through them and that's mm. definitely true um, so I think um when I first started, I guess this is a, a piece of advice as well. When I first started um, planning the cottage bakery and running it, I was full of all this grand um, plans and um, visions and uh, uh, ambitions. And so I had this, this idea that I would offer a different loaf every week and it would be, you know, lots of interesting things, making use of seasoned ingredients. And I do still um, incorporate some of that but my my husband who's always you know he'll be a common theme through this that's kind of you know <laughs> my voice of reason and kind of keep weighs me in um, is that you you need a kind of uh you know your kind of not signature but your staple your basic mm -hmm. one that you are really comfortable with that you make over and over and that was probably the best advice and I do think most bakers do do have you know that kind of not basic loaf but you know um because making variations it just sounds like it's the same procedure and um it's not that difficult but actually when you're baking them in bulk each bread type can have different requirements and you really don't discover a lot of these things until you've done them. And so doing something different every week, you're never going to improve in the same mm. way if you're producing mm -hmm. the same kind of bread over and over. So I've been doing my country loaf, you know, every, twice a week for almost a year now with the bakery. And so that level of practice can't come if you're changing all the time. And I'm so grateful for that because I love where I've reached with my country loaf. I'm really happy with it. I've tweaked it obsessively and finally reached a point where I think I'm happy with it. Maybe in the future I'll discover something else. Um, so how many loaves are you baking these days per week? I've started the farmer's market two weeks ago, so it's extremely new and that's definitely changed things up. Prior to that, I was baking twice a week through a pre-order system. And so the, the, the number of orders did, definitely fluctuate and vary when it was through the pre-order um, system and I think that different places um, different models will work in different places differently so you know I kind of thought initially that I wanted to run a subscription bakery um, where people sign up for a loaf per week for a month um, I found that at least where I am in LA that doesn't seem to work very well um, people don't seem very comfortable with committing to that. They, they prefer kind of getting on a, a more low commitments. Yeah. Low <laughs> commitments. People are busy. It's understandable. They go away. Uh, they don't, you know, know what they're doing three, four weeks in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I would have huge fluctuations in numbers day to day. So there were some weeks where I would have um, a lot, maybe. Uh, well, a lot for me, the quotes to 13 maybe. And then some weeks where I'd literally have only a couple. And that was that was difficult to not have that consistency. Um, you know, whether you're making a couple of loads or more, it's kind of almost the same amount of time that you're putting into it, which is one of the reasons I did want to go down um, the farmer's market route. I'm, I'm still obviously um, discovering on um fine-tuning um, and gathering information about how much to prepare for the farmer's market. Um, it's only your, what, third week now? Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's it's a small sweet farmers market and so yeah I, I don't definitely don't have a gauge yet on exactly how much to prepare but um it's nice to be able to have a bit more creativity and control over what I make I can kind of make how many of I want I can sell that with the pre-order system I struggled a bit with because um also with kind of if people are ordering and um, you're due to deliver or they're due to pick up, there's kind of a lot of pressure to not get it wrong. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you're, if you're baking and you can go, actually, this didn't turn up so well, so I don't, I don't have to sell this, then that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely upsides to it, even though it's a lot more of an intense exercise. <laughs> So I think another topic um, of interest might be kind of just your kitchen and, and what kind of equipment you use mm. maybe on a regular basis. Because I'm starting, you know, the more I've investigated or the more I've started to take notice, it seems like a lot of cottage bakeries tend to have uh, this, the same equipment. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, I keep seeing the Rothko, you, the know, Rothko, you yes. know, pop up. But is, is there something, are there like some fundamental pieces that you use all the time or you feel like you couldn't live without? Um, so yes, the Rothko is the oven of choice for most cottage bakers. I think it's the only oven that really exists. That's kind of in between a home kitchen oven and a commercial deck oven. It's relatively affordable. It's a very simple piece of equipment really, but it does its job well, especially when you're talking about, you know, artisanal bread baking. Um, so yeah, I, I invested in a, in a Rothko almost two years ago um i've heard there's a a wait list for that was that uh your experience um, (laughs) i was keeping an eye on um the you know on the on the pleasant hill grains website they do have a stock level i was keeping an eye on that it's always very low so i thought i should go for it um this was about as i said two years ago and um i did not have to wait but (laughs) kind of uh maybe a couple of months after I ordered the price, the price did actually drop by almost a thousand dollars. And then I think there was a, a huge waiting list because more people make it more <laughs> affordable and accessible. So, yeah, I, I don't know what if there is a waiting list now, but yeah, I, I know that they're the only um, importers and of the, the Rothko in America. And, it, and is it? It's. Uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot about the learning curve with the Rothko, but it is mm-hmm. once you once you get the hang of it, it is a good good piece of uh, equipment you will learn to love it <laughs> um, other than that equipment wise um, I'm still hand mixing with the volumes I'm doing I, that's, that works okay and um, I do have a, a fridge a designated fridge I retard all my loaves and bake in the morning and so that's I bought um, to increase my capacity and also I have like a, a makeshift homemade proofer that I use when the temperatures are colder just to get a bit more consistency and um, mm. control but it's, it's a bit of a funny story because um, it's an it's an old wine fridge and um, I, I had a, my eye on a, a wine fridge but I didn't need it to work because I don't plug it in um, I just use it for the insulating properties. And How many loaves can you fit in it? Well, the um, the loaves don't go in in loaf form; they go in the, okay. in the bucket. So I can. It's it's very tall, so it's got about five shelves. So quite quite a few, but I have to kind of um, use a fan to distribute the air in there. But um, yes, I had hmm. my eye on a used wine fridge, but it's one of those things where you know people aren't really selling broken ones and if it works then it's a bit expensive i i had i, I like the idea of a wine fridge because they're quite aesthetically pleasing bakery equipment can be quite ugly and you're doing it mm. at home so you kind of want it to blend in a bit more and my husband happened to be out cycling and he spotted this amazing wine fridge on the side of the road because really? wow. yes it was uh, it was the day before the um kind of re- not recycling but um the collection day when you put um, metal and okay, I think big, big bulky things that you don't 
want. And he told me about it and he was like, it's very big though. So I was like, no, I have to go and see it. So <laughs> we drove up and I saw it and I said, this is amazing. We have to take it home. But it was huge and weighed. I don't know how much. And uh, I was luckily, I had a friend staying with me who's a personal trainer and has a little. <laughs> so That's the- convenient. Yeah, so the three of us managed to somehow lug it into our car by kind of gently leaning it onto the the tailgate and then shoving it in and putting all the seats forward and kind of contorting ourselves to get home. And actually a pacifier also helped us. So that that was a really good find. So that's one of the things I love the most in my bakery. So yeah, about three months ago, actually, we moved house and I now have... I'm very fortunate to have a room that I've been able to turn into my bakery, whereas before um, I was using one of the the kind of the through rooms in the house, which definitely had its challenges. It's probably something worth considering for, you know, people who are thinking about running a cottage baker's at bakery that um, baking is a very messy business. And, you know, as I said, a lot of baking equipment isn't pretty. It's quite industrial. And yeah, so how that's going to affect Hmm. your home, the mess it makes and how it affects the people you live with as well. And so, yeah, in my previous house, it was uh, the room that I was baking in was the, the room you would come into when you um, came down the stairs from the bedroom. So it's like, you couldn't get away from it. It was the first room you stepped into in the morning. So if it was a mess, it was just like all there and it couldn't be kind of shut away. And (laughs) so it kind of took over the house a bit. Is there a piece of equipment you think, uh, or if you, if you could ideally have anything out there that existed, is there one piece of equipment you wish you could get your hands on? Oh gosh, I'm sure there is. You said you're still hand mixing or you got your Um, eye on a mixer. (laughs) I... I have a small mixer that's got a very small capacity, so it wouldn't be appropriate for um, the larger, the, the actual loaves. It's more for kind of small amounts of heavier mixing. Um, I don't know. Maybe in the future, if I if I um, grow my capacity, a bigger mixer. Um, at the moment, I do. I do. It is very physical, but I do like. I'm happy with my hand mixing for the time being. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think maybe potentially a different fridge. I'm using um, a freezer retarder. So it's basically a freezer that's connected to a thermostat to control the temperature, which is, I think it's very good because you can make sure you're controlling the temperature within a range. But there's a few issues that come with that that Mm. I don't like. Is that a hack or is that something you bought? Um, it's a hack. It's Maurizio's hack. If you go to the perfect loaf, you will be able to see the one he built and it's based on that. Um, I find though that it creates a, a ton of condensation inside. I'm not sure why. It's hmm. just one of the issues I have that my Bannertons always come with a puddle of water on top. And it's <laughs> just a bit frustrating. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to take a quick pause to thank the small group of listeners who donated to the podcast so far this season. I'm so grateful for those of you, some of you who have interacted with, and others, complete strangers, who have made such generous contributions, both large and small. So a big thank you to Tammy Jones, Terry Coletto, Noel Deeb, Valerie Benson, and Andrew De Palma. It truly encouraged me more than you know to think that the podcast inspired you enough to want to support it financially. If you feel you've been inspired by the stories on the podcast, please consider supporting it by contributing any amount on my support page. Your support would help me in my goal to keep bringing these stories from our inspiring sourdough community and help mitigate some of the expenses of maintaining the website and equipment needed to produce the show. It's as easy as clicking on the support button and selecting an amount. Now, back to the show. So shifting maybe to less technical, a little more uh, philosophical, Mm. if you will, Um, you know, every cottage baker, you know, has the opportunity kind of to create this business, you know, based off of their own ideals or, or values. What, you know, what are, what are some of those values or ideals that you would want people to think about when they visit your bakery or, or eat your bread? So, um, I think when you set out to 
run a cottage bakery, you do need to decide what kind of baker you want to become and what your values and principles are. And there will be times where challenges in the process kind of make you question those. Like there were definitely times where I thought maybe I should just add a bit of yeast because that would make it <laughs> a lot easier. Not in my actual loaves, but I think I was having a go at, you know, pastries. And I just thought, oh, you know, maybe maybe a hybrid would be okay. Or times when I struggled, you know, I, I had a goal that my kind of a country loaf, that's the loaf that I want my customers to think of as their everyday loaf that I wanted there to be at least 40% freshly grain, whole grains in there. And, you know, there were times through the process where I wasn't getting quite maybe the crumb, the ideal crumb that we all see, you know, the open structure. And I thought, oh, maybe I can just shave off a few whole grains to make that a bit easier. And then, you know, I just kind of just had time to think and reassess and go, you know what, this is what I set out to do and I'm going to do it the best that I can. But I you know, I've decided that's important to me and those are kind of the the values and the the principles that I want to to run my bakery with. So I'm gonna stick with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's got forty percent. That's very high, you know. I think uh I think there's you know, twenty percent is kind of a, a number a lot of people yeah. aim for and I've even struggled with with I mean 20%. My, my my country love is definitely as I said in an evolution and it actually contains like six different types of flowers. Like I it's rice, belt, wheat, freshly ground and then three different kinds of grains that I don't grind, including like high extraction stuff. So I was really trying to aim for a balance between kind of appealing uh, texture and but have that flavor that comes from the mm. mixture of grains and the, um, the health benefits. So yes, um, personally, I, I don't, I, as the longer I bake, the more I'm attracted to the, the, the loaves that are heavy in whole grains. There is a loaf I make now that's 100% whole grain, and that's potentially one of my favorites. It's, I guess I've always been drawn to, I know it says on my website that food should first and foremost provide nourishment. And mm. so for me, food that tastes good has to also provide, you know, nutrition. It can't just for the flavor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are, those are some great ideals to, uh, to strive for. And I think, I think that's a, what inspires a lot of people to get into to bread in the first place. And, and then, you know, maybe even take it to the next level and, and maybe mm-hmm. start trading it or selling it, giving it away to friends. And I think that once you start seeing or experiencing the joy of like sharing that bread with people and like seeing them experience that, that kind of bread for the first time, yes. I think it just, it really, encourages a lot of people to start thinking, wow, is this something I would want to do professionally? Um, what are, what are some steps I can take? And and obviously, you know, I think a lot of people daydream about that community aspect and the, Oh no, I understand that because I definitely went through that process. It was definitely not an overnight decision. It's something I did think about and toy with for a long time. What piece of advice, you know, I, I feel like that would probably be a number one question people would want to, you know, what would you say to someone who is, is considering starting a cottage bakery? There's probably quite a few pieces of advice that I can offer. I think you'll never feel ready, <laughs> especially with me. I just think that, you know, I kept saying, oh, I need to achieve this before I can do it. And, oh, I need to overcome this hurdle before. And also there's a bit of a catch 22 when it comes to large, um, large bulk baking in that you feel like you need to practice baking in bulk to get good at it but you can't really practice in bulk unless you have an outlet for it so you need your customers to Mm -hmm. either you know offload the bread to or support this endeavor financially but you can't get the customers without feeling like you're good enough to sell the bread to them so um, (laughs) that's something that I mean, my approach to solving that problem was, um, I don't know if you know the community website next door. 
um, next door. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, so it's just a community kind of uh, message board where you interact with your immediate neighborhood. You kind of have to prove that you're part of that neighborhood. And I put a message out there saying I'm working on um, setting up a bakery and I'm doing lots of test loaves and I want people to give them to without the pressure of having to produce a perfect loaf that would be interested. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, and uh, actually I had a ton of people saying, yes, I want some bread. Um, I I think maybe 70 or so messages I got. And I think I handed out to maybe half them. Um, And actually it was a good, you know, almost like a good promotional thing because a few of those people did become customers and continue Uh to be. So that was, yeah, that was uh, one way to overcome that issue. I've never heard that approach, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's like, it's, it's more specific than like a Facebook post or obviously Instagram. the pressure of you know your mm. first sale is is it's difficult you know and if you if it doesn't turn out the way that you were expecting or hoping then you know there's a lot of anxiety that can come with that and you know the fear of disappointment and all this the other piece of advice is the classic k-i-s-s keep it simple stupid um these pieces of advice are definitely do as i say not as i do because i'm very bad at heeding my own advice and um, again my husband's always you know my uh, voice of reason and I always say yes you are right but I'm not going to do that because I'm definitely one of those people who has to kind of learn through my own mistakes and I can't help myself (laughs) Um, but I do have the knowledge so hopefully I can uh, offer some advice Mm. um there's obviously the business side to consider. You know, I think I think most sourdough bakers go into it for the love of baking. Mm. It's, you know, I love baking. How can I make money more than I love? I know I want to make money and I'm going to think baking. <laughs> um, and I think it might not be generally, uh, universally true, but my personal experience is that artists creative types and business minds don't necessarily come together in the same person that's definitely my own experience but Mm. obviously if it is a business then you have to do the numbers and figure out whether it is a realistic you know venture Mm -hmm. Um, look into your local cottage laws they're different in every state some of them are very limited i think in california they have an income cap of fifty thousand. Um, so but I know that in some states it's much less mm. to the extent that it can only really be an extension of a hobby. Oh. Um, and in some states there is no cap. So, you know, it depends maybe where where um, where you live. And as I mentioned before, different models, I think, work in different areas. So you have to think about what kind of model you want to operate in, how you're going to distribute, which is one of the hardest things when you're operating from home to get the word out. Um, the other piece of advice would be try not to be too critical. You have to learn through the mistakes and you can't please everyone. <laughs> it's, um, you know, you can play it safe and kind of do the, uh, go for the safe bets, but you know, I, I love challenging myself often doing different creative things. And through that, I've learned that some people would, you know, some people love a loaf. They'd say it's the best thing. And some people say, you know, that I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that you can't please. But, um, yeah. And as, as we just talked about earlier, like decide what kind of baker you want to be and write out some principles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's some great advice. And I think people are really going to, especially those people who are kind of, in that arena of, of kind of making that decision of, you know, it's kind of seeing where, where they want to take uh, sourdough, where they want to take their bread. This, is it just mm-hmm. kind of stay in hobby world yes. or am I going to take that next step? I think that's, those are some really great uh, points yeah. Yeah. that you brought up. And You definitely have to, yeah, there will definitely be points where you have to step out of your comfort zone. Mm. So. <laughs> well, Lisa, we, we are quickly uh, we're, we're actually already over the hour that I told you I would take into your evening. Um, and we, you know, I always like to talk about community. We talked about kind of your husband and your, your immediate family and how much support they've, they've been 
given you and advice they've given you, whether or not you've taken that advice or not. But it seems like you have a great uh, community around you that's it's kind of uh, been a major support. Would you agree with that? Or or maybe like specifically um, your Redondo Beach greater community mm-hmm. uh, as you've you know started to sell bread out of your home? Um, how have they received you? Yeah. So, um, I'll definitely talk about the Redondo based community, but yes, my, um, my husband, Alex has definitely been my rock through this whole thing. He's extremely supportive of everything I do. And he believes, I mean, that's just been priceless and valuable. And it's important to have that support network at home because cottage baking can be a very isolating activity. You know, you're, you're not working in a bakery with other bakers that you can share your successes and failures with. And when you're alone, it, 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 you know, you can, you can get in a bit of a spiral where you have self-doubt and they lose confidence. And there are, you know, a community online that you can reach out to, but having the immediate kind of support network is very, very important. And in terms of Redondo Beach community, I um, have received so much support. Everyone is wonderful. I love all my customers. Some of my um, my customers have turned into genuine friends. You know, I went out for dinner with one of them yesterday. Um, she's house-sitting and cat-sitting for me in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, I honestly don't think I would have done the farmer's market if it wasn't for one of my customers who's so supportive and encouraging. And she kind of, you know, says it as it is and kind of <laughs> made me realize that I should just go for it yeah. and gave me that back. You need some people like that in your life. Oh, absolutely. She's just <laughs> very different from me, but I appreciate her so much. And, um, you know, there's just been moments of, yeah, maybe older customers coming to the door and just sharing, you know, stories from their life. And so, yeah, the community uh, aspect of it has been very, very fulfilling. But in terms of their support, yes, everyone has been very, very positive, very encouraging, very enthusiastic. You know, there's nothing better than receiving a message from a customer saying, telling you how much they loved your bread. You just do mm. a little bit of a dance inside when that happens. <laughs> yeah, at the farmer's market, I haven't been doing it long, but I love talking to my customers. I, um, my, my stand, my stall at the market is a bread shop, but I always had a vision that I wanted it to be a bit more than that to have an educational element. Mm. So, so I have, um, different grains and bath bottles on today for what a bread is made from. And I'm hoping to have some information leaflet form to hand out. So yeah, just, you know, just, there is a dialogue and conversation that happens with my customers and they've all been very interested and encouraging. So, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for more really. Yeah. That encouragement, I would, I would just think gives you that, that, uh, reinforcement that you're like going down the right path and, and, uh, made the Absolutely. right decision. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Those, those are the things that really at the end of the day, make it feel worthwhile. You know, there are times when uh, baking is as, as baking a one or two loaves for a hobby is a very, very different thing from baking in bulk. The mm-hmm. physicality of it, like when I first started, I was worried because my body ached, my hands hurt. And that wasn't even making a lot of bread, you know. Um, it's amazing. I always think a human body and mind is so amazing in that we are adaptive and you will get used to it and it will get easier. And you'll look back and be like, oh, why was I struggling to make mm-hmm. loaves? You know, um, obviously you will have a limit. So, well, Lisa, well it's sorry, getting, where, 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 where did that? No, no, it's from? getting late. I was just <laughs> going to say, you know, it's, it's 10 o'clock out here in California. Uh, but I wanted to give you a, an opportunity to kind of share with our audience how they can connect with you. Um, what do you, what's the best way for them to find you, find your bread. And if there's anything else you'd want to share with your audience. Yeah. So if you're local, then I'm now at Hermosa Beach Farmers Market on Fridays from 12 to 4. Um, you can also go on my um, website. I um, I do pre-order loaves every other Tuesday as well. The best way, if you're not local, would probably be through my website, thebeachcottagebakery.com. And, of course, there's always Instagram. <laughs> How much longer does your farmer's market go? I don't think there is a, an, an end date. It's I don't end, okay. I know our, our local one, this, it just ended this. It's, it's just like a oh, summer. Oh, you mean like a yet. seasonal thing? Yeah. No, I think it's year round. Okay, so as, long, as long as I'm uh, able to. That's and, exciting. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa, hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, thank you for being such a, an inspiring part of our community. Yeah. I know you've probably inspired so many people out there to, to get in the kitchen and, and bake their first loaf. And, and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of messages, especially after this podcast. But I'm hoping I, I feel or I hear back from people hear, hearing you talk about your experiences and and your um, your personal inspirations. Uh, kind of gave them the push that they needed to <laughs> maybe start their own cottage bakery. Yeah. So, well, I think it's um yeah when you first reached out to me um and I got your email, it took a while to realize it was a like a, a personal email to me. I thought it was probably a promotional one. You know, I've I was really excited about your your podcast when I first found out about it and listened to your interviews with some of the bakers that. I admire and have been inspirational to me and I definitely don't put myself um, alongside those people but um, then you told me that you were doing a series focusing on the cottage baker and I thought that's such a great idea because I don't think any cottage baker any two cottage bakers are alike they're as personal as the Mm -hmm. people behind them I've visited two personally myself you know, you're doing it from your home. It's very entwined with your life yes. and your approaches are all completely different. And I think, you know, aspiring cottage bakers, um, home bakers will find that interesting, but also, you know, for our fellow cottage bakers, it'll just be really interesting to hear other people's approaches and experiences. And yeah, maybe we learn from, from yeah. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to share this with everybody. Um, you've been really inspiring for me personally. And, you know, I just having talked with you this last hour, uh, 10 minutes, I just I feel like we're cut from the same cloth, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I could probably just keep talking with you all night long. But, oh, yeah, um, definitely. There's definitely. Uh, <laughs> well, yes. Good to talk about bread forever. <laughs> all right. But I'll let you go, Lisa. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you, Mike. Good night. Be sure to check out the Sourdough Podcast website where you can learn more about Lisa, the Beach Cottage Bakery, and find links to her website. And you know, a super easy way to share the podcast is just take a screenshot right now, post it, and tag me at the Sourdough Podcast. And thank you to everyone who has been sharing photos of your best loaves with hashtag Sourdough Podcast. I love hearing from you and seeing your beautiful bread. Now stick around for the latest single from Weston Perry's debut EP, From the Attic. Cloud ahead, oh, 
Just sigh and laugh.